Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have a huge show coming up. A, because this week, I got to tell you, this week, so much stuff going on. Just a jam-packed week. But also because we have, on Friday, we do something called the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. We bring someone on here who, you know, we, we have a discussion about stuff for the next couple hours and share opinions and share thoughts. And they don't, we don't always agree. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But we try to get people on here who have opinions. Well, my next guest has opinions. My, not my next guest. My guest tonight has opinions. Uh, she is the host, the author I guess is the better word, although the host too, I suppose. She is the author of the Motherload column that you read in the Hamilton Spectator. She writes about driving. She writes about all kinds of things. She is a regular voice you hear all over the place. Her name is Lorraine Sommerfeld. She joins us now. Lorraine, how are you tonight? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I am, well, I'll tell you who I'm better than, Lorraine. And as someone who, you know, is into (laughs) cars, as someone who's into driving in cars, I saw this story and I thought, you know, I don't even know how this is possible. But maybe as someone who knows her way around a car better than most people, you can explain this. So a woman in Switzerland was seriously injured this week when she got out of her car. The engine was still on. All right. She got out of her car, 45 years old, um, to do something, didn't turn it off. The car began to roll back because it was on a slope. And um, anyway, it ran over her. The car then hit a vehicle that was behind her, rebounded back, rolled over her again, and then hit the curb and went backwards and rolled over her a third time. She was run over three times by her own car. Oh, someone needs to check the idle on that car. That's insane. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, you know, there are people who have bad weeks, and then there's this woman. It, is, it would be almost impossible to be run over by your own car three times. Well, somebody um, didn't set a handbrake on a car around here today or yesterday, and it rolled into the water. We were reading that. And it's like, if you're not going to put it in park, people, at least always put your emergency brake on no matter what. I've, I've always thought it would truly, and, and again, like having said this, Lorraine, I'm, I'm right now trying to find some wood to touch or something because, you know, these are one of, this is one of these comments that you regret when you're on the news uh, the day later because you're like, how is it even possible to get run over by your own car? Well, it, I think we all make mistakes, and yeah. like you just said, we're really glad when no one knows about them. <laughs> we don't do them out in the open, but cars aren't toys. <laughs> focus, focus, everybody. <laughs> yes, we, we were talking last night on the show. For those who were listening, Ben and I were chatting about the world's most ludicrous lawsuits, and there was a guy who won a lawsuit because uh, his hand was run over by his neighbor's car. The reason his hand was run over, he was in the process of stealing the guy's hubcaps, and the driver didn't know that he was stealing his hubcaps and backed up and ran over his hand. He still won the lawsuit. I mean... Is this American? It's got to be American. Uh, it was American. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. You yeah. can find a lawyer to win anything for you. Yeah, no, well, you know what? It's um, uh, When I was uh, a very young child, speaking of cars, so my sports hero was Bernie Perrant, who was a goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers. And as a kid... I mean, Bernie Perrant was everything, but also he had the coolest goalie pads. Back in the old days, before the pads all looked like they just came straight out of a box, you had to break them in. They were leather with horse hide and stuff, and you had to break them in. And I had read somewhere that Bernie Perrant drove his car over them to soften the leather. I have no idea if that was true, but I was a goalie, and I got new goalie pads. 
and thought, this is a great idea. My dad wouldn't let me do it, though. So one day when he was backing up, I threw one of the pads underneath no. the tire of the car. <laughs> the seams promptly burst and horsehair went everywhere. And let me tell you, there's nothing quite like a father who's just spent hundreds of dollars on hockey equipment <laughs> only to see now just a, a field of horsehair where the pad used to be. Um, Are you like 87? <laughs> you know, it was, I know, it sounds like it, doesn't it? They still made pads with horsehair up until the 80s, believe oh, it or I didn't not. Know that. Believe it oh. or not. And I'll tell you, we're totally off the topic of cars, but I, I yeah. remember talking at Kineski's when they used to still make the pads down on, uh, yeah. on Barton Street. Mm-hmm. Um, one time they couldn't get their delivery of horsehair. Remember hearing this story when Pops Kineski and then his son were making them. And they had to put out these pads. They had to find something to stuff the pads with. They went to a barber shop down the street and stuffed it with human hair. <laughs> I love it. I so love it. somewhere, someone owns a pair of pads that has human hair in them. I don't know. <laughs> okay, it just got gross. Just took a turn for well, the gross. <laughs> you know, it's, it's different. Uh, it's different. <laughs> but yes, but back to Our Lady in, uh, in Switzerland yeah. here. It is, um, uh, it, it, it does seem to me, though, that we do, and again, you're someone who writes about driving. We, we do take for granted sometimes our cars because we just, we get so used to them, we forget what they can do to us. Oh, it's not just sometimes, it's all the time. They're weapons, they're very, very heavy, they're incredibly powerful, and they're point and shoot. They're the easiest thing in the world to work. And so we forget what we are actually piloting and how much is being entrusted to us. And again, please, when you're driving, just drive. Put the phone away. Don't don't look at your passenger when you're talking to them. Guess what? They're still there. They're not going anywhere. But yeah, yeah we but take it for granted. You know what, Lorraine? I, I Look, I hear what you say about the phone, and I agree with that. And yet, even when we put our phone down, our screens now, to be able to do this, mm-hmm. our screens are more complicated than the Apollo 11 screens were by about a million times. The, if I mean, honestly, if they had the kind of screens that are in a Tesla right now that was on Apollo 11, they would have missed the moon because they would have been distracted. They actually did a study, um, and I wrote about this about a year ago, and with all, you're right, the manufacturers cram so much stuff into the cars that it's so distracting. They have to put all the safety stuff on to save, you know, save us from what they've done. But they had a pilot from back in the day, just like you're explaining here. And he said it was 50 times worse than what they had to deal with. They ran through the tests of what pilots had to focus on and what drivers have to focus on. Yeah, and they've yeah. actually done a study on this because it's so out of line because a, a pilot just had to focus on flying the plane, let alone all this other stuff. But it's more complex and more distracting. That's the big word, distracting. Well, just imagine the, the call. You know, um, the old Apollo 13 was Houston, we have a problem. But it would have been uh, Houston, we have a problem. We missed our turn off because we were playing Candy Crush on our screen. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> sorry, can we try again? Can we circle around? Can we do a UE? Uh, ma- manufacturers have a lot to answer for. And I know because I write in the car industry, people think, oh, you're defending cars all the time. And now I'm going, no, really not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lorraine, today was Remembrance Day. And, you know, every year I know we have the thing at the um, Warplane Heritage Museum or down at the Cenotaph. And I know that um, people stop at 11 o'clock for a minute or two. And I know that people generally wear their poppies. And just me saying all that maybe says, hey, we do plenty to honor this. Do you think we do a good job though? Do you think we do, or do you think it's a, a more of a, just a visual thing we do just because we don't want to look like we're not, but we're just waiting to get on with our day? I think it's kind of performative in a lot of ways. You're right. Um, I believe 
it meant more to a lot of people when the, when we were in school when the, and when my kids were in school they had a better appreciation or understanding of it because it was in a classroom and kind of mandated and then as soon as you're set free people i remember one of my little guys when he was little they're huge now hauling me down to the cenotaph in burlington you know because it was a saturday or something it wasn't a, a school day because they've been talking about it in school um i think kids learn from their parents and from their teachers but we're a hurried kind of society. Everyone has somewhere they'd rather be or thinks they should be, and we do lose touch. And you would think with so many current wars going on, especially, it's not once upon a time. It's not a long time ago. It's now. Well, yeah, although I think a lot of people, it's interesting you just say that because, I mean, Remembrance Day is supposed to be, I know the timing of it is based on the treaty, the moment of the treaty, but of peace, but... I think most people kind of don't think of it as for other wars other than the world wars. Uh, I, I think of it as it's the same with Veterans Day in the U.S. and there's Memorial Days all around the world. I think it's come to encompass all wars. Unfortunately, um, it's not that they've run together. You're right. It, it originates from, you know, how, how do they call it a great war? Make that make sense to me. Well, great can just mean large as opposed to fantastic right <laughs> yeah. so it's uh, yeah. yeah no it's but but i i mean I, we I, I don't know many people i think think of it as we're remembering world war 2 or world war 1 I. I don't think i mean i don't yeah. know that a lot of people think oh let's think of uh you know iraq or let's think of uh korea or let's think of wherever i i don't know that we do and if, well, think, and because of that it sort of seems like it's older and older and older and less and less and less relevant well, I think the other thing is that we will focus on the last remaining vet, like there'll be a cover story yep. over, you know, the last person. So I, I get that. But I think for younger generations who are still fighting, currently fighting, and again, this has more of an American slant in some ways, um, but there's a lot of Canadian people fighting in subsequent wars, and we're stupidly forgetting it. And then we watch the convoy nonsense, and we all know which side I'm on on this. Um, with the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which does represent all. So I, I think either we're not teaching our history thoroughly enough in the schools and we need to ramp it up, but that goes hand in hand with civics because it's all tied together. But I, I believe as these eternal wars keep going, it, it's time to start, you know, encapsulating all of it, not just I agree. War. No, I agree. Yeah. And look, this is a ridiculous example, so I acknowledge that before I even start. But if you talk to kids right now about the Beatles and the impact mm -hmm. the Beatles had, well, the Beatles are mom or dad's or grandma's band. They're not yeah. really relevant to me. Yeah. You, you forget, yeah, but they sort of started everything, or Elvis started everything. Yeah. But that's old. And if you don't have anything re more relevant to them or more recent to them, it seems like that's just, you know, that's in the past. I don't need, I don't need to know about that. And that's what I fear about this by making this only seen by many people as a first or second world war thing, that the relevance of it seems less and less. I think it's, that's legitimate. I also think using your music example that like I've got kids in our family, we're all vinyl freaks now, everybody mm. <laughs> turntables. And they're realizing the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, all the blues influences from the deep southern U.S. of people who are long gone, especially the black culture from there. And my kids and my boyfriend's kids are discovering the roots of even the people they think are too old for us. They're going, wait, this is where it's evolved from. Mm -hmm. This is where stuff has come from. So I have hope. <laughs> I have hope that as they learn 
and move on, they do look for the stuff. They go past Taylor Swift. Yay, Taylor. Go, go girls. You're great. All that. But the kids, as they get an appreciation for music and for history and for the way politics works, they do look past that. Our kids are smart. Our kids are not stupid. I don't think our kids are stupid. I think our kids are distracted, though. And I think um, our kids don't get the, and, and I'm with you, and I know there will be, and this is not, I'm not slamming teachers. It's the, it's no. the, um, the curriculum that is placed in front of the teachers. I think that you're right. I, I, I question, I haven't been in a, in a civics class in a long, long time, but I really wonder, it seems like we find a lot of time for a lot of things that people want to fight about, about, you know, other courses, you know, that we teach. And yet some of this stuff seems like it kind of slips through. Well, I was in a civics class. It's about eight or nine years ago now. I was doing a thing with the city of Burlington, and it was a project, and I insisted that we bring it into civics classes. And they go, those kids don't vote. We don't need their input. It was gathering about, it was about civic engagement, and it was a huge, huge project. And I insisted. So three of us went into civics classes in Burlington in the high schools because I know they're taught by a board phys ed teacher for the most part. Sorry, phys ed teachers, one of you is my best friend. But the civics class, it's a wasted half credit in grade 10 for the most part because we brought in teaching them the three different levels of government. You need to know why municipal engagement is so important because, frankly, that's the barking dogs and who picks up your garbage. Yep. That's the stuff that impacts you yep. every day. And they're so busy screaming, I hate Trudeau, I love Trudeau. So I forget that. Forget that crap. This is the stuff that impacts your life every day. So we went through that, asking who's, you know, who's in charge of this? What would you want to see? How would you go about getting that done? The brains are wide open. <laughs> they didn't tune us out. And the man I was doing it with happened to be a former Thai cat. And that was a massive deal because at the time he was 75 years old. He played when they had leather helmets. And he was a giant of a man, and he was amazing. He, he went on to be a school superintendent and involved in politics. But when they heard the football thing, they're looking at him with new eyes, because this guy's like a grandpa. And they're going, whoa, okay. So you can find a way in. So it's teach the kid, not the curriculum. You know? so, okay, so teach how, let's go back to the war for a sec, because I think what your point about the politics, absolutely right. A hundred percent right that I think we've done. Not all, uh, not all, but generally a crappy job, just as we've done a crappy job teaching our kids money management, for example, in schools, which is... cooking, yeah. And cooking, those things. Okay. But back to the idea of the war, I've often thought that you would probably end up getting kids way more engaged, even though... I know it's fiction. If you were to show them Saving Private Ryan every November, mm-hmm. for, but people would freak out if you did because they're, it's really violent. And yet, yeah. you know, how do you talk about war and explain what people were doing and why we're, ta- why we're honoring a sacrifice if you don't acknowledge? You, know, you can't do war like Pretty. Rambo movies where you shoot a <laughs> machine gun and everyone just falls down, but there's no yeah. carnage. War yeah. is horrible. That's why we honor it. Yeah. No, and you're right. It's how do we, and I think when I went to school, which is back in the Stone Ages, they got away with way more. Like we got to see stuff that now, no way, you know, and I've a young friend of mine, little girl, she's a teacher and I've known her since she was two. And if a kid falls down and is crying and she teaches little tiny kids like grade one, they're not allowed to hug them if they're crying. And I'm going, how do you, and she goes, you can't. And well, I, the I, risk, yeah, the risk is just too too great. 
it's insane. I'm going, you've got a crying child who's hugging you. And she's like, we can't, we can't chase after them if they run away from school. We can't like all this stuff. So I believe the pendulum has gone. And it's, you know, my father got strapped as a child. That's insane. You do not beat children. That's crazy. However, the fact you can't comfort them and you can't, you know, show them. Remember in schools when the challenger blew up and they were showing it? I do. That's one of those. That's one of the, I remember exactly where I was sitting that day. I was in a, I was in science in the science lab and they announced it over the, over the loudspeaker. And and I, it's just one of those, uh, one of those things, but yeah. And and you would now, um, you would show it because it's on cable, but you would show it once or twice. And then the complaints would start coming in. If you were a TV station that you're, abusing this or you're yeah, mocking you trouble. yeah, yeah. You, you would or you'd have to put a, a a notice ahead of time saying trigger alert yeah. or something back then <laughs> i mean can you not like me can you not picture exactly what the challenger explosion looked like because you saw it so many times i can visualize exactly what it looked like well I, I think we've combined the idea of everything we do now is entertainment and we uh. stripped away the newsworthiness of things and the historical value of things. And so everyone thinks they have an option about whether they can, you know, be exposed to this or understand this. And this is the problem. And I'm going all over the map here. I apologize. When I look at Netflix exploiting serial killers for money, it makes me insane. Serial killers are not entertainment. No, and Someone and else's horrific, horrific death is not there to entertain you. It's it's really tricky because again, like I I heard something recently uh, that we shouldn't ever be showing the planes hitting the World Trade Center towers that that should never be shown again. And I'm thinking, as soon as you stop showing it, I'm not saying you show it for giggles or for entertainment or any of those things you describe. But the second you stop showing it is when it stops. We stop realizing how yep. horrendous it was. Yeah, that's history. That's real stuff. That is what happened. And that's what And I mean. it's we, supposed we to be ugly. Line. It's supposed to be ugly and it's supposed to bother you and it's supposed yeah. to make you sick. And exactly. if it doesn't, that's on you that <laughs> there's something wrong with you. And if it does, that to me is a sign that you are still a human being with some empathy and compassion because you still understand what was wrong with that. And I want my kid, if I have younger kids, when I did, I want to be there with them to explain them. Sure to explain this, to work with them, to go through this. So when people are freaking out that my kid saw X, well, how come your kid hasn't already seen that? Mm-hmm. Why haven't you discussed this? Why isn't this a topic of conversation? Great point. Great point. Because, uh, Lorraine, I, I want to throw this one at you. Th- this one to me is a real problem. And, I, and I, you may or may not agree with this one. It's a story that I read this week. A woman has filed a lawsuit against Warren Beatty alleging that he coerced her into having sex with her. So it's a very serious charge. We, we, I don't think any of us have any tolerance for any kind of, of this stuff, any kind of allegations of sexual assault or anything like this. Here's where this, to me, gets really difficult. The allegation is that this happened in 1973. Is there a timeline? Is there, I know legally it's a, it's a, it's a civil suit. It's not a criminal suit. Should there be some sort of statute of limitations or something on coming forward with an allegation? Because it seems that 50 years later seems on its face excessive to wait before doing this. It's a long time, but if you've been raped or assaulted, um, it, it 
happened. You have the right to recourse. You have the right to have that aired. And I'll guarantee you one thing. Um, she's not the only one. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, Warren Beatty has a reputation and whether, I, I mean, I'm not getting into whether all of it was legal or not. I mean, he certainly has a reputation. Well, I, and I know it's difficult to use today's template on 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago. Like, I understand that, you know, things that happened when I was in high school are different now. Like, I understand that. However, abuse is abuse. And the fact is, we air this, we change it, we do better going forward. So to continually say it was too long ago, or she doesn't convince me, or I think he's lying, or whatever it is, doesn't serve going forward. And that's the part that has to matter now. And we need people to know today, you will be heard, you will be, you know, you'll have your case, you'll have a chance to talk about this. I went, I'm 58. The stuff that we didn't talk about and never said anything about was absolutely insane. It was insane. The stuff people got away with because we knew nobody would listen to us. We knew nobody would, you know, hear us out or think, they, they, all, they would all think we were lying. We were not. And now I'm an old broad. Mm. You know what? I don't know anyone who hasn't been touched by stuff like this, literally, figuratively. <laughs> and I think it's absolutely wrong to tell somebody that didn't happen to you or it didn't matter because no matter how old you get, it still matters. And I don't care if you're male, female, none of that matters. If somebody abused you, you carry it with you for the rest of your life. You are entitled to let that have air and to find a way to knit it back together. The, 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 the challenge I have with this, Lorraine, and listen, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. I do. And, and I, I agree with 99% of it. The challenge I have with this is that I don't know that there's any reasonable possible way that you could possibly say that there's going to be justice in this for her or for him at this point, because 50 years later, it would be almost impossible to have witnesses, to have any kind of proof of this. And I don't know that that's fair. Well, I mean, look, she, she is entitled to bring this forward. I just don't know how anyone can expect that we would find out what really happened. I think you're framing justice in terms of what you would find to be justice. And that's normal because we would think, okay, does this mean he's found guilty and has to give her money? That's not what this is about. I guarantee it's not what it's about. So we have to kind of reframe or rethink what we believe justice is or winning is or something. Her opening her mouth and bringing this out, if this happened to her, that's the justice right there is finally being free enough to say this happened to me. And we know, so, oh, it's the same with um, musicians. Oh, the stuff that used to happen with them. Oh, my God, Steven Tyler adopting a girl because she was underage that he was sleeping with, like, this stuff's nuts. But it happened all the time, and because it happened all the time, it was okay. Well, not okay. okay. And, and not okay, but let, let me throw that other one that you brought up, too, and it's an interesting point here, is uh, different times. So, yes. again, doesn't make it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but 50 years ago was a long, long, long time. Uh, I mean, in, in life terms, I mean, that's, I, I was, you know... I, I try to think back 50 years and where I was 50 years ago, um, not doing this, but um, nonetheless, it's, it's, could there be a debate? Could there be a debate? Could there be a defense that said, look, this was, this was not uncommon at that time. And therefore, you know, I shouldn't be held responsible for something that was normal behavior. But how many things do we dismiss as that? Look at slavery. Come on. Like that's a big one, but think about it. Just because it was okay then 
doesn't mean it's okay now, and it doesn't mean there's some way to make that up. But by denying someone the right to bring it up and have it validated, sorry, that's my cat playing on the shutter. No, that's, no, that's, that's, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm not at home anymore working from the basement, but we've had dogs going off in the background time <laughs> after time, so I get it. I yeah. get it. No, I, yeah. I, 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 I just think to move forward, like to do better, we have to acknowledge what we've screwed up. And for a lot of victims... The whole point is not that they're going to have reparations. It's that they're going to be validated or heard. And actually being silenced, whether you're being blackmailed, whether you're being told to shut up, whether you're being abused to shut up, being heard is so huge. It is such a big deal. Such a big deal. So I think we have to kind of look beyond what we consider the usual repercussions of this, which is some kind of punishment for I mean, the dude's eighty-five. He's gonna yeah. die in a minute. Yeah, but so but our justice, our justice system. So, uh, and again, I mean, this this is a lawsuit that is filed in the justice system. So we have mm-hmm. to, by definition, work within the confines of the mm-hmm. justice system. Now, yeah. you know, for her to have come out and just said, "Look, I, uh, the, he did this to me." Mm-hmm. Um, that would be taking it into a different direction where we can have a public debate. But with this, because it's a lawsuit, we have to work within the justice system. Mm-hmm. And to go back to my point earlier, I don't know how we possibly could think that 50 years later, we, look, the, the Kennedy assassination is 60 and no one can agree on that. And we've said that the people, we, mm-hmm. there's no way we're ever going to know what happened. And there were a million witnesses to that one. I just don't know how... In a case like this, 50 years later, that we can possibly expect that either he or she is going to get a fair shake out of this. Because we don't know who is right in this case. No, but the thing is, these are our expectations, not hers, not his. So I think we really have to reframe it. And in the justice system, it really does come down to guilty, not guilty. You know, what do you do if you're guilty? You have to pay and do this. I don't think this is about this at all. I think this is about someone being heard. But if she, but it's in the justice system. So if the court hears this and Mm -hmm. determines he's not guilty, that's also unfair to her if something did happen because he couldn't get, it couldn't be proven, but in everyone's minds then, she's just someone who was looking for a quick buck and it didn't happen to her, whether it did or not. She's got to be 64 by my guess. Or She was 13 or 14, so yeah, so 64. So I I don't think this is quick buck stuff. I don't think that, I think it's needing to be validated and heard. And yeah, chances are really good it's going to come to nothing. However, it will also embolden other people who he may or may not have abused and people of his generation. My God, those old guys. I mean, again, we're talking about what used to be okay and everyone looked away it still happens, but I don't think it happens as much. Maybe I'm kind of an idealist. I'm not sure. But unless we talk about it and allow people to openly say what's happened to them, how the hell do we help our kids and future generations to be open and tell us what's going on? Because I'll tell you, we don't know a fraction of what happens in our kids' lives. Teenagers, are their job is to lie to you. That's their yeah. job. And they're very good at it. I, I suspect that what will happen is that because of where we are now, I think that if this were to happen to someone today, they're probably not waiting 50 years to come forward because they probably feel like they can come forward now much more easily. So I, I, that, that for sure is the case. I say I, 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 it, it's I, was the still, t- I was still stunned when that Headley kid got convicted, though. Yep. Yeah. And so you're right. They, you know, they will come forward perhaps a little easier, but my God, what those girls got put through on the stand. I mean, it's brutal and the Gameshi crap. I mean, 
women know who the predators are. We know. And I'm generalizing women. No, and I, I well. Lorraine, we I... Know, we know who they are. I, we warn I each other. I <laughs> believe and hear you on all the points. And I think, that, you know, the same thing, that there, there's no place for this. There's no time for it. We're not being sympathetic in any way to this behavior. I, at least if, if that's in any way suggested, that's not the case. There's no room for this. I just can't... I just can't see how 50 years later we can expect to know what really happened. And that leaves an unsatisfying answer for both him and for her. I just, 50 years later, it just seems like we, there's no way we could possibly expect to really ever find anything out. I don't think. Uh, I just believe that for her, probably getting this out in the open is enough. Maybe. Because she knows exactly how infinitesimal the odds are that this could go somewhere. But I look at Roman Polanski, who got away with that admittedly and had people rally around him, and it's, like, gross. So, honestly, anyone listening to this, if you're watching and knowing that's going on, you are just as guilty as someone doing it, you know? Like, we have to be better than this. We really do. Uh, Lorraine, let's go from... Uh... From well, I don't want to be on some sort of theme here. Although it seems as though it may be a little themey, uh, wasn't the plan? Uh, this story that we learned about several months ago uh, about this teacher in Oakville, the um, who uh, people I think know about this now. It's a shop teacher, a male transgender teacher who identifies as a woman who has shown up at school wearing enormous prosthetic breasts. I mean, like. If you ever saw Morgana the Kissing Bandit on baseball games back in the 70s, this is like double the size of Morgana. Like these are, anyway, I don't want to get into that whole story. That's been well hashed out. And if people still don't know the story, they can go look it up. Here's the part about the, the, what I want to talk to you about in this one. The school board has this week announced, we're not putting in a dress code. We aren't going to implement any kind of dress code on teachers because it may fly in the face of human rights violations or... Mm -hmm. Okay, leaving aside this particular case, although this is certainly notable, where are we now in a world where boards, employers, whatever, can't put rules in place for things that I think a lot of people would say, come on, surely you can have some kind of standards that you enforce. This seems crazy that you're that a boss, that an organization can't say, please don't dress a certain way. We're going to have a rule. I can't walk into school as a male teacher wearing skin tight pink hot pants. I mean, or, or whatever. I mean, pick whatever you want. It Surely we can still put rules in place, can't we? Seems not. Every, but every generation revisits this. I remember we weren't allowed to have bra straps showing. Right. Which I look at now and go, that's what they were coming down on us for? Like, it was crazy. And our jeans were so tight, mine were painted on. It was just like, there, take that, you know. But, no, I think when you said the words, some people and surely we can find edges to this, you know, the best thing we can do with this person, and I don't believe this has anything to do with trans. I think it has nothing to do with trans. I've got a circle of friends. Some of them are trans. This is a fetish. <laughs> this is a fetish. And the best thing you can do is ignore it. And I would guarantee... That's hard if you're a, st- no, you're a student. No, I understand that. But think about it. Think about the kids you know, in the classroom. This person comes in, whether they're dressed as a clown or they have obnoxiously large breasts, like clownishly large breasts, because it, it is a prosthetic. It's a very crazy thing. You can't draw a line on things because then you're 
you know, going to be telling people what they can and can't wear. They can't show their bra straps, which is absolutely stupid. We can probably agree on that, that that's dumb. So where do you go? To me, this all would have gotten probably dropped pretty quickly um, because kids roll their eyes and are bored. And this person wanted a reaction. This person got a huge worldwide reaction. Yes, yes. So mission accomplished. If everyone had just let it go, just shut up and ignored it, it's like kids and pets. You reward good behavior, you ignore bad. It's the best way to train them. And, you, and when you mention the bra straps, we're talking in that case about students or, or you know, other yes. clothing. But I'm, yes. I, again, this is, the, this is the launching off point to me, not the exact thing. Whether, if, if you own a business, if you run a, an, an office with the government, whatever else, mm-hmm. for your employees, not for, not for the people who walk in. If, if you're running City Hall, someone can walk into City Hall off the street who's a member of the public wearing whatever the heck they want. But should City Hall not be able to say to its employees that it that represents it, you're getting a paycheck from us. There are certain requirements that we expect you to adhere to to be a professional representative of our organization. That to me is the question here, that we well, seemingly can't even do that lest we cross some sort of human rights line. Well, and ideally, yes, but you have to understand that if you say everyone has to wear a white shirt, a white button-up shirt and a jacket, on women, and I, I was, oh, all growing up, I had like no boobs, flattest, flattest girl on the planet, like crazy. And then after I've gone through all the breast surgeries and stuff because of, you know, genetic problems with breast cancer, I have boobs now. That same shirt looks very different. And I think that's something you have to also be cautious of is you can't um, look at someone and go, your body type has to wear this, but your body type can wear that. And that's where it starts to get fuzzy. So, again, the same way kids would start ignoring stuff that's boring them, peer pressure moves people around. If you're getting a a bad reaction, if you're getting people not taking you seriously, like if you're dressing inappropriately, male or female, and you're not getting a good reaction, your career's not advancing properly, you're going to have to go, okay, wait, this isn't working. Okay, Lorraine, let me flip the question, though. Let me flip this, though. Let's say uh, rather than this particular person, let's say, again, I'm a guy who works for the school board. I'm the principal Mm -hmm. of a school. Mm-hmm. And I decide as a male that I'm going to wear skin tight spandex pants mm-hmm. and I am going to put a prosthetic giant erection mm-hmm. in my pants. And now yeah. it's not just about a, making a statement. There are all kinds of girls in the school who feel very right. uncomfortable, very right. uncomfortable, but you're not allowed to tell that person they can't do that anymore. So those people just have to deal with their discomfort. It, I mean, it, it, I don't, I bet you money that if it was that way, someone would be saying to this person, you can't do that because you are creeping these people out and they are uncomfortable. I believe that this person now with the, the boob thing has been told that not by someone who can force them to change. I'm sure people have tried to say to them, look, like this person must have a friend somewhere on the planet going, not the way to make your point, you know, but again, when you start drawing lines. I would love, I I think dress codes help, but even in schools that have uniforms, what's the first thing people do with the uniforms? They bastardize them. (laughs) I I wore a uniform for most of my school days and yes, immediately you tinker with it, you adjust it. around it. I I guess what I'm saying is be careful what you wish for and the best laid plans will go awry. And if you show up in, you know, hot pink stretchy pants with a you know, something tucked down your pants. I like to think eventually that'll get boring for you or, 
you know, I, I don't like human rights coming into all the things. I would like people just to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And in that respect, I'm an idiot. And I no, I, I don't think I you're an idiot that. at all. I think I think I know I, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. I think we I, I think it should be expecting people to behave in a certain way, but but clearly in some cases that does not don't. apply. And then yeah, what I, do you do? And if we can't have any kind of rules, because now, uh, I mean, Lorraine, I don't know the answer to this question, but you said, well, maybe they have someone who would speak to them. What if someone goes up and speaks to them and there is a complaint filed because now yeah. they've violated my human rights because they've told me I shouldn't do this. I mean, who wants to go up and say something out of risk that you may get in trouble? See, I think what's difficult is most people are decent people who do the right thing. And I mean this generally speaking, mm-hmm. not just about the way we clothe ourselves or even the way we vote or anything else. I get a really large cross-section of mail, like all the time. And I know I, I there's people that I write to constantly who are very much removed from me politically. Let's put that politely. They're still my readers. I've been writing Motherload for 19 years. When I wrote about my son a few weeks ago on his birthday, I had 70 letters you know, from people saying, we love him. Please tell him that. People are decent and kind, and most of them are. So I have to look at this few percentage of people who are trying to make the world a lousier place, and then I have to tell myself that most aren't. And Sometimes I agree. The best we can do. And I agree. And the funny part is those are the people that we have the rules for, and yet those now apparently are people where you can't put rules in. So I guess we well, just we accept it and... But and, and you know what? It would be really interesting. And we got to run. We got to go to news here. It'd be really interesting if all of a sudden all the students. Now I don't even know what the students think of this. But if all the students said, "I refuse to attend that class," mm-hmm. that's where the power lies. That's and and what would the school yep. do then? Well, the school, I assume, couldn't fire the teacher. They'd have to just assign the teacher yep. a class with nobody in it. Yep. The and, kids have the power. It's an interesting and the young one. voters come into play. I back to civics. That. Back to civics. If they'd if they'd given good civics, yeah. and maybe they have in that school. Um, they, yeah, there you they, go. They have power. They have a lot of power. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, I read a story. This is on. Um, it was from uh, the Atlantic. Really interesting headline that got my attention here. Headline was this, we are witnessing the end of social media. We know that Twitter is not having a great week. We know that Facebook has lost 75% of its value in the last year or so. Um, We have seen uh, other social media areas, social media platforms really struggling. Do you think we really are seeing the end of social media? I think we're seeing the reincarnation of social media. The reinvention? Not a moment too soon. No, it has to change. I think you're a journalist. We know this. It's become a flaming garbage heap. And the misinformation and disinformation and what it's been used for is atrocious. It's, It's changing elections. It's changing our lives. Like, it's terrible. However, there is a sweet spot in there of connection and people being able to access things they previously couldn't. So there is a good thing in there. So I think what we're, it's got to be blown up and rebuilt. I I don't know if this is what Elon Musk is trying to do with Twitter, but I'll tell you, the, the one thing that I would absolutely be on board with, with all of these, and particularly Twitter, is something that would require you to place your name and some form of, like, absolute ID beside it so your name is visible on there. No more just Easter egg or 
yeah. whatever, or made up, you know, I'm P274642, I mean, whatever. If you had to be Lorraine Sommerfeld and Twitter was able to establish, whether by a credit card, even if they don't charge you, or some driver's license or something, I think you would get rid of not all of the crap. You'd get rid of an awful lot of the crap that was on there, though, because people would no longer be able to hide behind their anonymity. Well, there's there's two prongs to this. I, I am verified. I did show them my driver's license, and I had the magic blue check mark. You know, I earned it uh, by proving who I write for, and you have to submit, you know, published stuff, and it can't be old. It, like all, I tried like six times, which sounds ridiculous. I've been writing all these years <laughs> for all these papers. Seriously, it started to just become, okay, I don't even care anymore, but I'm still going to do it once more, which is, you know, dumb. So it was real. Flip side, um, there are people who are in incredible, very real danger if they are publishing and people know how to identify them. They get doxxed. I know you've seen this. Um, sw- their houses get swatted. Women get attacked. So do men. Um, it's a very real danger for people using some of these platforms. So that I find an abhorrent. And I understand why people say, wait a minute, if I have to, you know, go into my real name, I could lose my job. And there's so much information we've had access to because of people who have gone on to become whistleblowers, let's say. Um, So information we wouldn't have had access to if they couldn't have been anonymous in the first place. And it kind of falls back into that most people are decent and some people are creeps. Like, you know, that's real. However, I wish platforms could verify without outing like if you I, I hate when i see roger nine blah, 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 you know just like you said with that whole string of numbers behind it especially when they're coming after me and i'm going yeah you and both your followers can just go away now yeah. like, leave me alone so i understand i would really like to have people be you know valid or at least verified that they're not a bot or a troll however because social media appeals to the worst in people. It appeals to the best and the worst. It does. And I think it that's does. The human, that's the human condition. I think that's every single thing. And there's not enough staff. No, no, no social media, none of the big ones anyway, could possibly have the staff to go over all the no. tweets. So you, you've got these algorithms that are trying to do it. But I look at it and I think, you know, look, I write something for the spectator. You write something for the spectator. We say something on the air today and someone disagrees with it and they say, you know what, Scott, you know what, Lorraine, um, that was stupid. And here's why. I, I have never in all the time that I've been writing or doing this show had a problem with people disagreeing with me or criticizing me. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is when it goes from there for not just me, but for my colleagues and for everyone else into something intensely personal when they're comment, when they're threatening or when they're commenting on some personal, uh, appearance of that person or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how you weed that stuff out other than having the name attached to it. So other people would then say, Bob, what you said to Lorraine, you're an idiot. Shut up and go home and stop doing that. And that's what we end up relying on. And But you can't do that if you don't know who that person is. No, you can't. And this is part of, like, I've written for the Toronto Star, I've written for the Globe and Mail, and now I'm with Post Media, which is a very far right wing paper, especially compared to my politics. So you want to talk about being a female in a male-dominated industry and putting my opinion out there to anonymous commenters. I have a rhino hide because I have no choice. And I want to write in that section. I want to write the things I write. I think my opinions are valid. 
and so do the papers that hire me, apparently, which is fine. But when it edges over from having a disagreement into being dangerous, and that's where it gets very complicated. And I think that's the part a lot of people forget is that we're human beings and they will shoot out something. And I'm going, if I was sitting beside you, you wouldn't say that. No. And, and what happens with a lot of women in this industry, and I mean in journalism, is if you write something stupid, they're going to go, Scott, that's stupid. Like, that's a really dumb thing you said about whatever team. If it's a woman, they go, you're an idiot. You're dumb. It, it, it's like this narrow difference. And I used to have editors that didn't even realize because they'd go through the comments and try and turf out the really bad stuff. And I'd go, you don't even see it anymore. You don't see when they're attacking me instead of my ideas. And the men, they would just attack their ideas. And so there's this difference. And I don't get a fraction of the vitriol and grief and, oh, the stuff that happens to so many women in this industry. There's ongoing investigations right now. I know you're aware of them. I, I can't believe that doing your job means that you get threatened with rape and death, and I hope you die and your children die and everything else. And these are people, as you say, very safely ensconced in their anonymity. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know how you, the answers. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, and and your point is well taken about the you know the danger of outing someone, especially you know if they're in a in Iraq or Iran or something, and they're mm-hmm. you know uh, that oh. I, that's a that's a very valid point for sure. I don't know how, but again, back to this idea of the Atlantic, we're witnessing the end of social media. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I agree with you in the fact that I don't. I don't see it ever going away. I just, I, I, I could no, dream of it. No. I, I could dream of it a lot of days, no. but I don't think that, but the reinvention of it, maybe somehow. It, yeah. I mean, we're all fleeing to other platforms. I'm, I, I love Twitter. I, I bailed on Facebook years ago and never, never missed it. Um, cause I, I found actually, I'm usually arguing or upset with people who I do know who they are. <laughs> Yeah, well, Facebook to me, all I all I put on there for the last number of years is if I find something funny. Like I'm not going yeah. on there to have an argument with somebody. I, you know, um, I I don't know. I I I do wonder. We got to go to a quick break here. I do wonder if you know every generation looks at stuff that their parents did or other, and they say that was stupid. I do wonder if the next generation after the Gen Z or whatever we are right now, after the millennials, after Gen Z, I wonder if their kids will look and go, that was stupid. I want to have real human to human contact and not do it this way. You know, I I would have never said that rock and roll would be passed over by hip hop. I would have never said that this would be taken over by that. Maybe there's hope down the road that they say, no, I'm not interested. Yeah, my kids are not that interested in it. It's happening. Text texting and and some people call texting. So I don't call texting social media. That will never go away. No. But social no, media, no. don't know. You know, we were just talking a few minutes ago about we probably should let people make the right decisions and not have to put in rules for everything. Well, that that's not what some of the scientists are saying now. There are a number of scientists now in the states who are saying that donut, cereal, pizza, fast food, that kind of thing, should be categorized. Highly processed foods should be categorized as a drug. They are just as addictive. They're just as damaging. There should be laws against advertising towards children and restrictions on who can buy and all these kind of things. Where do you go with this? Well, you toss out the Happy Meal ads, right? Yeah, uh (laughs) Yeah, you toss out a lot of stuff. I'm honestly, for all my political leanings, I'm a huge advocate of education over ban hammers. (laughs) 
I think we need to do a better job um, in teaching people basic life skills. We don't do it. I, I think my era was the end of home ec and shop and all that stuff. And it's unfortunate because life balancing a checkbook, understanding compound interest, all that stuff it should just be basic things that are taught. And I know I sound like a broken record, but if kids have access to this and know what to do and learn how to cook basic things, they're going to choose, you know, when you go to the farmer's market, what, what's in season is what's cheapest. What's unfortunate is that we've made this garbage food the most accessible and the cheapest stuff available and the, the fastest thing, literally the fastest food. And I think that's too bad because when you know better, you realize, wait, I can save a ton of money if I know how to do a few basic things. So we could take it away from being fast and reliable because I was a single mom. My kids are really little when I was a single mom and I'd come home at six o'clock at night and then that that's a brutal day. And you're going, Oh my God, what am I going to do? I couldn't afford to go buy them pizza and burgers. I had to cook and I hate cooking, hate cooking. So I feel for people whose time is stretched to the max. So we have to start reordering things and, you know, again, a new template, a new way of doing things. And I just wish, Maybe slowing down is the answer. Maybe the pandemic well, taught could, a lot of us that. I don't know. It could be. I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I, I hate the idea that we would start putting in these kind of rules. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Not just because I think that we have way too many rules as it is. I wrote about this mm-hmm. in The Spectator a while back. City bylaws. We have so many bylaws in our city that mm-hmm. 90%, I don't know the number, are never enforced because we couldn't mm-hmm. possibly. So if we're not going to enforce them... Why are we having them as a rule? Well, we that's what politicians do. That they, they they pass rules. That's that's what their job seems to entail. But with this, all right, we pass a law that now says buying a Big Mac is is the equivalent of buying a drug. You can't advertise it. You have to be a certain age and you have you know ID or whatever. Crazy. Why then? What what then prevents us from saying? Well, you know what else leads to obesity? not doing any exercise. So now, Lorraine, you have to go and check in at a gym every day and make sure mm-hmm. you've done your half an hour of workout or else you can be fined. And then, well, you know what else? This can lead to it and that can lead to it. And like we, as soon as you open this Pandora's box, you can't stop it. You can't. You can't stop it once you get this thing going to say, we have to make sure that people are healthy. You cannot legislate health. You just can't. You, you can't really legislate much. You, you can try, but people yeah. will, are going to do what they're going to do. And again, that's why I think instead of looking for more legislation for things, it's like teach people why they should want to choose something different. And again, Pollyanna is weighing in, but I, I look at it with the way we drive in downtown cores and keep hitting pedestrians. It's like, no, drivers have to buy in to not want to hit them. So instead of, we do you know, vision zero, which means nothing. It's garbage. It's lip service. It, it, it never works here in North America because we're selfish. And I think it's the same thing. You can legislate all you want. You're not going to make people do it if they don't want to do it. Laws have to make sense for people to go along with them. They know that. And with food, again, I think a lot of it, it's a default. It's cheap. It's easy. And our lives are so stressed or we're so maxed out or we don't know any better that we do that and making it illegal to advertise it. That doesn't matter. Like weed's legal now. It didn't turn everyone into a bunch of potheads. 
you know, alcohol is illegal. Alcohol is a poison. I love that poison. Alcohol is poison. We shouldn't be drinking it. So, but I don't see anything. I don't have a problem. See, the thing is with this, I don't think there's anything wrong with going and having a hamburger. Not every day, not three times a day, but you know what? Every couple of weeks, every once or whatever time frame you want, you want to have a pizza? Fine. Have a, the, yeah. I mean, I don't drink much pop. In fact, I drink almost no pop. But you no, know what? Yeah. Uh, a couple times a week, I'll have a Diet Coke. I don't think I should have to be legislated because, you know what? Some studies say that if you drink 18 gallons a day of Diet Coke, you're going to have a brain tumor. Not usual use, not common use, but people who really abuse the thing, anything will make you have a problem. And, 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 that's, but That's why these headlines are ridiculous. It, I, I believe it's just to open up the discussion. I think that's why they do it. They want the focus back on um, opening up the discussion. Nobody believes they're going to legislate against junk food. Um, well, uh, well, well, I, I, now I don't know because remember in New York State a while back, they put a special giant uh, pop tax on. And there have yeah. been places that have tried to legislate these kind of things in a certain way. Uh, I, I'd have the discussion about taxing some of this stuff the same way they tax alcohol and cigarettes and stuff, that might be a different way because then you're making the choice to spend your dollars that way. Um, but then people will say, well, now it's only for the rich. Then you have a whole a other discussion. That's a I tax on poor people because, yeah. and again, I, I would say, look, th- th- I bet you, uh, and we'd have to have an expert on here to be able to tell me if I'm right or not. I would bet you that as many people suffer pr- uh, health problems from passive stagnant lifestyle as from eating fast food. And so should we, if we're going to say, well, we've got to stop you from being unhealthy, we're going to tax your Big Mac, should we also tax, as I say, your non-exercise? Well, no. Well, we're, no. <laughs> I, I don't know how you would possibly do it. I don't know how you would, but I mean, again, why are we then picking on one part of the bad, one bad decision? Let's tax all the bad decisions. I, I'm not actually only, proposing this, by the way. We only pick on booze, basically, and maybe speeding. And yeah, cigarettes, like try yeah. And, you know, we try and pull down the hammer on stuff that is immediately killing people or could kill people, or better yet, stuff we know we can get away with as politicians. And when you said that they bring in silly laws, it's because they have to, you know, come re-election, which is their actual job, getting re-elected. Um, they have to say, we did this, 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 and this. And it's like whenever someone, if a, if a little kid gets killed crossing in front of their school bus by a car, there will be a law made to slow down, you know, the the speed on that street and some politician will be sure. all behind it. And the worst laws... And we're emotionally supporting it because that's a oh, tragedy that. that we want something to be done. Look, Lorraine, uh, 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 earlier this year... Bad laws come from that. Terrible laws come from those sure. emotional decisions. Sure. terrible. Earlier so. this year, we had city council pass a new omnibus law about um, uh, pop-up parties near McMaster. Every, pretty much almost every single thing in that bylaw already existed in other bylaws. Yep. But because there's a big thing, well, let's put a new law in place because now we will show people that we're doing something. But we'll just enforce the laws you have. So circle back to the civics class where people understand that that's what the politicians are doing. Teach them. Uh, that this is the nonsense that is bred by people who are ignorant of what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> we see this, look, the, one of the places we see this often is in sports. And if you go back, if you were to call a hockey game by the rules that are written, and not mm-hmm. even the rules that are written now, by the rules that were in place at the time of expansion in 1967, 
-hmm. You could call the game basically with a few differences that they've put in. You could call the game very, very, very well and have it look like a hockey game. But the problem is you've got, okay, what's a hook? Well, a hook is this, but it's not really, <laughs> it says what it is right in the rules. Why do we need to be adding new hooking rules? Well, this is what we do in all of society though. We add new wrinkles, new rules, and then no one can possibly enforce them. Adding a rule about making fast food a drug. <laughs> well, they well, made hockey pads have to be narrower. Remember how fat they got in the eighties, the, the goalie pads? Yep. But again, if you go back, <laughs> you could probably, well, if, if. Everything's static. Everything is in a state of flux. Everything. If fast food is a drug that right now we are talking to an awful lot of drug addicts on this show, <laughs> uh, everyone listening at some point or another has consumed drugs at some point. Lorraine, I don't know if you've ever been on a flight, you've ever been waiting to take off on a plane, you found your seat and the seat next to you is empty and uh, without sounding entirely insulting, I think everyone who's been in that position has said, Oh, please let the person who's coming to sit next to me be a petite gymnast, um, as opposed to the alternative, because United Airlines now is blocking off certain seats because people have grown larger and there have been problems with people not fitting in their seats anymore. You, are you, this has been a discussion for a long time. Should people who take up more than a seat because of their size be required to pay for more than one seat, or should they pay the same as everyone else? I, until recently, traveled a lot for work. I've flown all over the world. I've been on lots and lots of flights. Seats are narrower and narrower. Um, you're closer to the one ahead of you. It's horrible. I admit I fly up front of the plane frequently, depending on the brand that's flying me there, but I've spent enough time in the back as well. And honestly... <laughs> There's so many times when if people could just be a little kinder, <laughs> and I know, again, I, I feel like I'm usually such a scratchy woman, but <laughs> if somebody, if someone is heavy, they know it, like they know, and they are already mortified and humiliated. They know, and it's the airline's fault. The airlines have made us all at each other's throats. We're turning on each other instead of turning on the people who are actually responsible for this because there was a time when anyone, anyone, unless you were exorbitantly, you know, tall or large, could be comfortable in a seat or at least comfortable enough. And now we are turning on each other because the airlines are maxing out their dollars. They're putting in 30% more seats in the same space. They're cramming us in like cattle, charging us twice as much, and then telling us to deal with problems that you're right, we shouldn't have to. Like I paid for this seat, I should have this seat. Mm. The person beside me who happens to be bigger, they're already in a state that they don't want to be there. They're already mortified. The least, the least thing I can do is say, it's cool. Like, it's fine. Well, Just give someone that gift. And I know, yeah, I paid a lot for the seat. No, and it's it. funny. It's funny because you, it seems that we've had a bit of a theme today about people doing the right thing. And maybe that's yeah. going to be always, but I'll tell you, uh, well, it's a funny story now. It wasn't funny at the time. I assure you, I was flying to Africa with my wife and I am tall. I'm about six foot five and airplane seats are not good to begin with for me. And immediately upon takeoff, I mean, the wheels were barely, you heard that just as we took off. And the guy in front of me who was about four feet tall 
immediately had to throw his seat into full recline position. Mm-hmm. I tried to block him. He yeah. then kept banging and banging until he called the stewardess, who then she came and said, sir, can you please move your knees? And I said, yeah. uh, what do you mean move my yeah. knees? They're attached to off. me. Yeah. And she goes, you have to spread your legs to allow him to recline. <laughs> and I said, wait a second. I, and I used the, I've paid for me to be sitting here. Mm-hmm. And she goes, sir, you can purchase a front, uh, a first class seat if you wish. You can upgrade. It's like, yeah, for 10 times the price. So I had to fly from Zurich to Nairobi with my legs looking like I was in a birthing position. And I was like, this is not good. This, and and so that was lengthwise. I understand what you're saying. And I agree that we should be compassionate and that we shouldn't certainly be mocking anyone. But I also understand if someone sits next to you who is taking up your space in an already crowded plane, that's a really uncomfortable thing. It is, but we can't keep blaming someone who's fat, okay? Because that guy ahead of you was little. So it's it's about people. I, I think there's such a default, and it's so easy to abuse somebody because we look at them and go, I, I can look at you and know what's wrong with you. And that's horrible. And I'm bipolar. I, I've been cool for 25 years, but you don't look at me and go, oh, she's crazy. I mean, I tell people I'm crazy, so it's kind of, you know, I give it away. <laughs> But I think it's really, really unfortunate if somebody can look at you and go, I can see what I decide is wrong with you just by looking at you. What a way to go through life with people judging you without knowing you. I think that sucks. Like, I think it's it does. really horrible. It, 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 it does. There's no it, question. It, That's unfair terrible. and it's unkind. And again, this is on the airlines. We shouldn't be having to fight each other about this. They should have things in place. They should have seats that accommodate people. If the policy needs to be that someone, you know, needs a seatbelt extender, that's fine. If they need to buy two seats, they should make that clear. They should do this so someone isn't humiliated in the moment. But they don't do that because they want to make more money. Interesting. Okay, so I I agree However, here, the FCC, the, sorry, the FAA, the FCC is, is uh, radio. The FAA, the uh, Federal Aviation Authority, increased the average passenger weight. So they have adjusted for the fact that we are bigger people these days, all of us, not just the people we're talking about. The mm-hmm. average female summer weight. So the average female who is flying in summertime, I guess, because she's not wearing coats and everything else has increased from the previous average that they anticipated of 145 pounds to 179 pounds. Mm-hmm. The average male went from 185 to 200. So we're, yeah, the airlines have these tiny seats, but also as people, we're all getting larger. And so now the question becomes, all right, if we're saying we think that the airlines should adjust for us by having bigger seats, are we willing to pay more to fly or do we still want the low prices? But we already have to do this for operating tables and ambulances and everything else, MRI machines. We all know as a society that people are bigger and we know we're bigger than our, my grandfather was probably five feet tall. I look Mm -hmm. at pictures and it's like, where did I come from? Like, this is crazy. (laughs) So we know we're taller. I have a son who's 6'4 and he fills a doorway and I look at him, it's like, Okay, <laughs> like I, you know, it's crazy. So we know we're bigger. Again, I, I think it's very convenient to look at people and go, "It's your fault because you're fat." It's like, no, that's crap. We are all bigger, and we do need to make considerations for people without humiliating them. Mm. And the stupidest thing you can say to someone who's heavy is, "Did you know you're heavy?" Well, it's like y- saying y- to you, Scott, do you know you're tall? 
Yeah. Of course you do. It's so a... Where's, where's the humanity in this? Where is... We shouldn't be accosting each other. We sh- The airline, in this instance, should be understanding and taking that into consideration. We should be demanding more of that. I, I just can't stand that we are left like a bunch of rodents scrambling, hurting each other in every scenario, while politicians and airlines and everyone else gets away scot-free for their decision-making. I don't know the answer to the next question I'm going to ask. You've done a lot more flying than I have, so I I really don't know the answer to this one, but let's say I was seven foot two, Mm. and I don't fit within an airplane seat, Mm -hmm. except for maybe the bulkhead, but that could be gone. Would they require me to buy a first-class ticket in order to fit onto that plane? Back in the day, they would have moved you around, to do that now, I don't know because they, you know, you can't get a peanut without paying. So right. I'm not sure exactly how that works. I've been on, you know, the little tiny planes that hold like eight people. Yeah. Or yep. I've been on those little ones. And I went on one gig and they had a scale and they were weighing everybody before they got in the plane because they were putting us in different positions because that's how sketchy this plane was. And I've heard of that couple. before. Uh, John Panette, who was a, he's deceased now. He was a comedian, very funny guy. You can find him on YouTube. I did a, a bit about that. He was going to the Grand Canyon or something and they told him they had to weigh him. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'm not doing, <laughs> not doing oh, that. Well, and that's what happened on this gig. And of course we're all committed. We have to go. It's work. And you go out and I hop on it and I'm pretty an average size person. You know, a little pandemic weight on there, but basically pretty normal. But there's people that are upset about it and our pilots, who English was their second or third language, they didn't know why they were getting all upset with them. They're going, lady, <laughs> just get on the scale. It's like, you could be a bag. It doesn't matter. We just have to know where to put you, years, you know, when you get on the plane. Years and years ago, I flew as a media thing with the Snowbirds. And oh, yeah. th- there was a guy who showed up, a media person who showed up to do his flight. And they said, no, you can't because... He was so large that the pilot would not be able, because you have two seats beside each other and one joystick, two joysticks, but they move together Uh and he could not have pulled the joystick back far enough. He could have caused an accident because they couldn't have Mm -hmm. raised the plane. Again, it's like, okay, that's horribly embarrassing, but what's the alternative? Crash? That's that's just before you get off the ground. It's like, no, it's not going to work. And I, I think we've kind of, and this is funny, this is just coming t- together in my head as we're talking, is we've gone so far one way that we can't come back to a, a normal spot. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's really unfortunate that we end up hating on each other for things. And most of us know and love somebody who has an issue. If it's not us, we love someone who's dealing with something. And it may not be visible, it may be invisible, but we're, we're all the same that way. Like we, we're more alike than different. So I don't know where the animosity has to come in and I don't know why we have to be mean to each other because every single one of us loves or is somebody with a big issue. Yeah. And, and, and look, I, I, this, this story uh, was United that is now blocking out certain seats. They've created seats for larger people. And, and, and so... Ultimately, I, I applaud them doing this because you solve the problem. We don't want to have people angry because there is mm-hmm. someone gigantic next to them that's taking up their space. We don't want to mock someone who is overweight for taking up your space. But at the same time, I, you know, maybe it makes me unsympathetic, but I don't want to be that person who has no room on a nine hour flight and is absolutely, you know, squished. It, it's, it's a, you, you can't, it's a can't win scenario, no matter how you well, do it. 
this probably won't surprise you. I've switched seats with people to be the person sitting beside that person because I feel so bad. And it's the same with crying babies. I sit beside the crying baby. Don't mind the crying crying baby. Yeah, I don't mind the crying baby. Our kids (laughs) were the crying baby at one time, and so I will never be upset with someone for having the crying baby. I I have a lot of empathy for people. And again, mostly I'm pretty crabby. Ask my kids. I think I'm kind of a witch. (laughs) But for the sake of this protracted length of time, and again, two hours, nine hours, there's a big difference in there. But I understand that that person is going through hell. And I've been in situations where someone has shown me a little kindness, which has made all the difference in my day and my life. And so I try and extend that to them. I will say this about everybody. And you said a little bit of, uh, a little bit of pandemic weight. I think we're all in that situation, but there was something that showed up. I know you said you don't, you're not on Facebook anymore, but it showed up on my Facebook several weeks ago. And I, I, I tell you, I went and looked up some of my own photos after in my own photo albums from when I was a kid, it was a photo of a day at the beach in 1970 something <laughs> and a day at the beach now. And I know that, you know, you could maybe find photos that weren't quite as exaggerated, but in these photos from 1970 and go online, people can look it up in Google, just type in day at the beach, 1970s. <laughs> there is not, everybody is basically in shape. Yeah. Like there, there, there yeah. are, of course, there are people who were yeah. larger. There's no question, but right. by and large, everybody is in shape. And now yeah. they show the picture and everybody Every. has mm-hmm. 25 or 30 pounds. And those are the normal sized ones. If you want to use that phrase, everybody has 25 or 30 pounds they could drop. But that goes back to that processed food and the fact we live in cars and uh-huh. we have planned ourselves into obesity. We have made it impossible. I was in Austria a few years ago. And Germany and Austria doing in and out of the ops. Everyone is walking everywhere. Uh Everyone is fit. There's no scooters. There's no everyone because you walk because they have walkable cities. You're downtown. It's walkable. Cars do not reign supreme. People do. See, I thought that eating, I thought eating schnitzel and spätzle made you skinny along with, you know, Warsteiner. the thing is, if you're when you said earlier about food versus moving your body, moving your body learns, you know, it leads to better decisions about this stuff. But I've been a lot of a lot of countries don't have the problems where Americans do because we get in our car and drive everywhere, and then we drive back, and we get all cranky if they want to put in cycling lanes or if they want to give precedence to pedestrians who want to live where they work and walk. If we just changed our planning, people would be healthier and happier. Well, and there's and, one more thing. If we forced everybody to wear later hosen once a year, people would make Perfect. sure they could fit. Perfect. <laughs> there, there's the answer. Absolutely. If we want to have any rule mandated, mandatory later hosen once a one week a year in Canada. That, I mean, it, so it, add that to the fortune cookies. Blah, 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 in later hosen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I assure you, nobody wants to see me in later hosen, and there's a lot of people yeah. I don't want to see yeah. in later hosen. But my dad was German. I don't want to see anyone in later hosen. <laughs> my, my wife, I, I have been well exposed. My wife's family was German. I have been well exposed. I can do the ziggy 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 hoy 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 now. Yeah. But, um, you and Chevy Chase. Awesome. There you go. And, and I'm working on the heel slap dance. Uh, Lorraine, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this today. Great job. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking the time tonight. It's been fun. Thanks, Scott. That okay. is Lorraine Sommerfeld. Uh, you can read her in Motherload. You can uh, find her all over the place. Um, she's everywhere. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.